God, we thank you today for the opportunity one more time to stand in this sacred place and to preach to many of them that I have preached for so many times. I ask you, Lord, today to do something that I'm not worthy of. I ask you to touch me with the anointing of the Holy Spirit that we can leave this building. We can say that we're inspired and encouraged and blessed by the Word of God. Touch us today, O God. Your Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Your Word is food for our spirit man. It's water for our thirsty souls. Touch us now, O Lord, as we delve into its pages and glean from its words things that you would have us to learn today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I was yesterday privileged to be at the graveside of one of our members, Brother Felton McCurry, and uh, got to meet a whole lot of Glenda and Gladys's family. I didn't know there was nine of them. Can you believe that? And met some folks that I have never met, our brothers and sisters and cousins and nieces and aunts. And I was just so glad to take part in that. I, I was privileged to do that. It was a wonderful time. In my part of that service, I reminded people that this is not the end. This is not the end. That there is another place that God has. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house, there are many mansions. Amen. The right interpretation of that is there are many rooms. There are many mansions, Jesus said. I go to prepare a place. He didn't say he's going to prepare a mansion for us. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you can be also. That blessed future that God has for us to live motivates us. There's nothing that makes me want to go to church like knowing God's got something better in his eternity. There's nothing makes me want to live holy and live righteous before God like knowing that this is not all there is to it. There's a payday someday. There's another meeting place. Amen. This is a very, very short interval of time compared to where we're going and how long we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. God's Word is so powerful instructing us about the times and we're living in, in days when Jesus said there would be earthquakes. Remember, that's where we left off last Sunday. The great earthquakes, the wars and rumors of wars. But we stated a verse that said, but don't be troubled by these. Don't be troubled when you hear about earthquakes and tsunamis. Don't worry when you hear about uh, divers kind of pestilence and famine that's going on and wars and all that. Don't be troubled about that. Don't be troubled. How in the world can we live on a planet where that's going on and not be troubled? He said, you believe in God. And if you believe in God, then you have faith to believe that God can take care of it all. If you have and have believed in God, then you have hope. Amen. A hope that is an anchor of the soul, the Bible said which enters into that which is within the veil. God has given to us a steadfast and a sure word of prophecy. And the Bible said, Whereunto we do well that we take heed. 
as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in our hearts. I want to tell you there's coming another day that's going to dawn, praise God. And that's how we can rejoice when a righteous person dies. Amen. That's why we celebrate when a righteous person goes to be with the Lord. That's, that's why we have parties and we eat and we're, we're happy because we know that that person has gone to be with the Lord. You know, sometimes we do right the opposite, being earthly and being fleshly. We want to hang on to our loved ones for as long as we can. But you know, the Bible said we should rejoice when they go to be with the Lord. And I, I know folks that have gone on, if they could talk to us today, they'd say, don't, don't be sorry for me. Be happy for me. I, I've reached what I worked for for so many years. I've, I've, I've reached the end of that journey, and I have, I've made that transition, and I'm in the presence of the Lord where there's joy and bliss and pleasure evermore at His right hand. Praise God. And that dealing with the death issue is what Jesus came into the world to do. Well, you know, 2,000 years ago, a man stepped onto our planet and from a country that we'd never seen and don't know where it is, but he came from that country we call heaven. He did some extraordinary things while he was here on the earth. And eventually he died and was buried and rose again. And there were many great personalities of that era, but none of them compare to the Lord Jesus. That after 2,000 years now, he's still being talked about and still being worshipped, and sermons are being preached, and songs are being written, and publications are being distributed about him for 2,000 years since his death. He is history's brightest star, I sometimes say. He is the greatest personality of all time. He is the highest above the high. He's the mightiest among the mighty. He is the purest among the pure. He is the loveliest among the lovely. He is all powerful and mighty in grace and love and peace that he distributes to all of those that will hear his voice and accept his challenge to live the life that will end in eternal life in Jesus' name. That's a wonderful provision that underscores the fact that God intended for us to have eternal life. But a terrible interruption happened, and the devil slimed his way into the garden, and he tempted, and our ancestors, our mother and our father, the first people, we are all their offspring. And the Bible said that they fell, and they fell from grace. They had to leave the presence of the Lord, had to leave the, the garden. So when Jesus came to the earth, he came to address that, that problem of sin, and along with it, death. The Bible said, for by one man's transgression, sin came upon all the world. And the Bible said, by one man's disobedience, sin came into the world. That, but, but by one man's obedience, by one man's obedience, hallelujah, he secured for every one of us a place in heaven. He secured for us eternal life. He secured for us forgiveness of sin. 
He secured for us mercy and truth. The Bible said have kissed each other. It's where justice met mercy. It's where God was at his best, where man was at his worst, where God did his greatest act, the greatest day, the greatest event of all time. Not the Battle of Hastings in 1066 when William the Conqueror freed England to be a free and sovereign state. Not when John Glenn walked on the moon or went into orbit and eventually Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. There have been a lot of great days. Great days when the armistice was signed in Tokyo, Japan, ending World War II. Many great days, many great events in our history. But could I submit to you that the greatest event in all of history happened outside the walls of Jerusalem on a garbage dump called Golgotha where sinners talked smut and where accusation and harsh treatment and brutality was seen and heard. It's where Jesus bore his cross. It's where Jesus was nailed to the tree. It's where the nail prints in his hands and his feet were driven with spikes so that he died for every one of us. Yes, that was the greatest day of all of history because it solved, it solved the sin problem and it solved the death problem. We regained. I talk to you about it a lot of times about a man named Ignatius who preached a doctrine called recapitulation. And what it says is what we lost in Adam we regained in Christ. What we lost in the garden, we regained at Calvary. Well, I'm about to shout. I don't know about you. Because I'm talking about victory that we have over death and hell and the grave. I'm talking about victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, the apostle Paul penned these words to the church at Corinth, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing else except Jesus and Him crucified. What that tells me is that that one event can solve any problem you've got. What that tells me, if, if Paul is saying, I didn't want to know anything else among you except Jesus and Him crucified. I imagine if you went to church at Corinth and Paul was preaching, he was preaching about the crucifixion, and he was preaching about the resurrection, he was preaching about the life of Jesus, he was preaching about the power in the name of Jesus. All that he preached about, he said, is about Jesus and him crucified. Wow. Then Peter came along and the Bible said, he said, I determined not to know anything about among you except Jesus and him resurrected about the resurrection. Hey, one's preaching death being lost and defeated by the blood and the life and the rising of the Lord Jesus. 
Another one says, what really thrills me and helps me is knowing that one day graves are going to burst wide open and sleeping saints are going to come forth with glorified bodies and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He said, that's what I like to preach. I like to preach a future event when everything's going to be made right, when God is going to fix everything. It's a gospel that needs to be preached. A gospel that needs to be preached in 1 Corinthians 1 and 23. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto us the power of God, wisdom of God, power of God. Wow. What in the world could the life of Jesus be a stumbling block for the Jews. It's hard for us to fathom how that people of such religious character who had such great religious ties, they could all tell you the law. They knew the Torah. They knew the Mishra. They knew all about the uh, garb of the high priest. They knew all about the customs and the traditions. But when Jesus came, the Bible said he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, gave he power to become the sons of God. He came unto his own. Why was Jesus such a stumbling block to the Jews? Because he offered another way. He was telling them, your way has been taken away. It's a now a new and living way. It's not a way where you have to have certain days and certain rituals and certain ceremonies and, and circumcision and uncircumcision and all of these things that you have to worry about, uh, about the sin issue. You have to do penance. You have to come every year and bring a goat or a bull and shed its blood so that you can receive remission of sin. But Jesus said, God's got another way. God's got another way. Jesus said, I am coming to the world to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus came first to seek and save the lost people of the Jews. In fact, the Bible even says that Jesus, when he was talking to the woman of Samaria at the well at Sychar, he said, don't you know that salvation is of the Jews? Our Lord Jesus came unto his own. In God's dealings with Israel, in God's dealings with, with his people, he said, I will send another Savior. I will send a Savior. Isaiah said he would be a man of sorrows. Said that he would bear our iniquity. And no, Isaiah said his back would be plowed, plowed by the plowers and his head would be pierced with thorns. Isaiah said he would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. But then he said, but with his stripes, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, but with his stripes we are healed. Oh, yes, healing is part of that atoning provision. Healing is a very much a part of what Jesus did at Calvary's cross because you see that that shedding of innocent blood for the transgression of our sins also contained in it an ability to heal our bodies and to 
Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The crucifixion. We preached Christ and the crucifixion. 1 Corinthians 1 and 23. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block. Under the Greeks foolishness. Well, he was a stumbling block to the Jews. Why was he such a problem to the Greeks? Well, the Greeks were all about Sophia. That was their goddess. And that was, she was the goddess of wisdom. Wisdom. When Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life came, embodied in the Lord Jesus, embodied in our Savior, is all wisdom, all knowledge, all intelligence is wrapped up in one person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Dante, Socrates, Aristotle, Erasmus, Plato, all of those philosophers. If you ever get to go to Greece, you can go to Athens, and don't forget to go to Mars Hill. Why Mars Hill? Because it was at Mars Hill that Paul told those Greeks, he said, said you do always know those things of the, of, of the embodiment of wisdom. And you sit here and you're suspicious and you're superstitious and you ask all kinds of questions and, and you do all diligence to try to know more this and find that out. But he said, I have brought us to you a, a solution that all wisdom can be wrapped up in what I'm about to preach to you. Because on my way down here today, he said, I came past all of your gods. And said, you've got gods to the moon, gods to the stars, gods to the sun, gods to the earth, gods to everything. And you even made one god to the unknown god. In case you'd missed one, you put up him a statue. But he said, that unknown God is the one I have come to declare unto you. That there was a man named Jesus sent from God who lived an exemplary life and died a sacrificial death, but he rose from the dead and he lives today. And the wisdom of this world said, What doth this babbler say? For othersome, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange doctrine. Thou bringest strange things to our ears. Because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Wow. No wonder he confounded the wise. No wonder he baffled all of the intelligentsia of his time. No wonder he stood toe-to-toe with every philosopher and every Epicurean and every Stoic, with all the Jewish men of wisdom, Josephus, Eusebius, and all of those. When they found Jesus, they found someone that was higher than they. They found someone that was broader in knowledge than they were who was more knowing and more knowledgeable about everything and everybody, that they wondered at his wisdom. In fact, when he was 12 years old, 
his parents lost him in the caravan and didn't know where he was. And when they went back to Jerusalem, they found him in the temple. What was he doing in the temple? Teaching. Teaching in the temple at 12 years old to the brightest minds in all of Israel. No wonder he was a stumbling block. And no wonder he was a problem for the wise because our preaching is not with the wisdom of words. Our preaching is in power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. Paul said, I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. I came preaching Jesus and Him crucified. I came preaching Christ and the resurrection. I came to preach about the one who is life itself. In fact, his words, the Bible said, they are spirit and they are life. But Jesus said, if you preach that, you're putting a target on your chest and on your back. Because Jesus said, if you preach that gospel, he said, there will come a time when they'll hate you. There will come a time when they'll persecute you. There will come a time when they'll put you in prison. There will come a time when they will be ill to you and they'll treat you very badly. In Saudi Arabia, a young girl converted from Muslim to Christianity and they beheaded her and took a sword because she had become a Christian. In Honduras, they carried out a group of missionaries and slew them and killed them all because they preached Christ. You say, well, there's probably stuff like that going on. I'm talking about last week. There are parts of this world where there are people dying every day for the testimony of the Lord Jesus. There are people every day in this world that are making the ultimate sacrifice. There are people that in the time of the Enlightenment, during the time of the, the Renaissance, when there were great people that died and were beheaded in France for the cause of Christ and believing about Jesus, you know, when heaven was peered into by John, he saw the souls upon the altar. And he said, who, who, who are these people? He said, they're crying out something. And he said, they cried out and they said, Oh Lord, most faithful and true, how long wilt thou not avenge our blood upon them that dwell upon the face of the earth? And God said, give them a robe and tell them to wait for a season for the time of their brethren to be fulfilled. In other words, he said, there's some more that's going to die for me. There's some more that's going to be delivered up to magistrates and, and be beheaded and slide down Nero's knife and be cut into pieces. Paul himself died at Nero's chop block out on the Appian Way out, out from Rome and it's buried somewhere in those unknown catacombs. But one day, when that trumpet sounds, 
You may not know where his old cold chalky bones are. You may not know what number of the catacomb he was laid in. You may not have a registry there of all the folks that had been placed there. But I'm going to tell you when that great getting up morning takes place, the apostle Paul's body is going to come out of that catacomb and he's going to come out with a glorious body like unto his own glorified body. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, who shall change our vile body and shall fashion it like unto his own glorious body. Hallelujah! Why don't you give God some praise? Luke 9, 22 and 23, Jesus saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and the re he be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and daily follow me. Wow. If any man will come after me, if any man would be my disciple, let him take up his cross, denying himself, denying himself. You know, sometimes I quote to you, greater love hath no man than this, than he would lay down his life for a friend. But it's just as accurate to say, greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his enemies. Because you see, he didn't die for just one or two. He died for all. In fact, the Bible said, for if when we were enemies, Ephesians 2, for if when we were enemies, Christ died for us. Much more than much more than being made free from sin. And we have been drawn nigh. Let us draw nigh by the blood of His cross. That through the blood of His cross, we can draw nigh to God. Because by the blood of His cross, you can tear down that middle wall of partition between us. We're not enemies any longer. We're not wandering out as strangers anymore. We're not away and separated from God anymore. But now we are brought nigh. What brought us nigh, Pastor? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, hath brought us nigh unto God. For there is no other name and there is no other way, no other avenue, no other place but in the Lord Jesus. Neither is there any name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. You see, the Bible tells us that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Foolishness. But to we who are saved, Anybody saved? We who are saved. 
we who are saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. To them that perish, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. Wow. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye have believed. I've preached it, and you've believed it. Whew. That's the way God wants it to work. That's why I put it up on these screens, and that's why I holler it out loud. Is because I want to preach it, and I want you to believe it. I want you to look up and see what the Word of God says, not just take my name. I'll yell it and scream it and stomp it and holler out glory, hallelujah in between it, but I want you to know that's what the Word of God says. People in this town sometimes say, Susan, if you go up there to harvest, he'll just word you to death. Word, word, word. All you'll hear is word, word, word. Well, they think that is kind of a smear, but that's a compliment. Thank you so much. I preached Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and you have believed it. Now, if Christ be preached, 12th verse, now if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? The problem was there were people in the church that had, had come up with some false doctrine that they said the resurrection is past already. It's already over. And Paul said, and they have made shipwreck of their faith. And he said the sad part about it is they take a group of people with them to believe the error of their way. And the problem was they did, didn't believe there was a future resurrection, said it had already taken place. But Paul straightened all of that out. If Christ be preached, he rose. How say some of you that there is no resurrection? But if there be no resurrection, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain? If the Lord Jesus is not risen from the dead, then don't try preaching anymore. There's no need to preach anything else in the Bible if you don't believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. Don't preach about Job. Don't preach about Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't preach about Jeremiah. Don't preach about any of that if you don't believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. For if there be no resurrection, our preaching is vain. Our preaching is vain. Wow. And if Christ be not risen, our preaching is vain. And your faith is also vain. In fact, the Bible said, have we believed the preaching of the cross in vain? Have we believed in vain? Has your salvation been in vain? Have you made the blood of Jesus of none effect? Have you made the grace of Calvary's cross meaningless? Brother, when you erase part of the Word of God, you've erased something you really need because the Bible said don't take away from it. Don't take away and don't add to. Come on, somebody. Don't add to it and don't take away from it. So many times folks would like to erase what they don't agree with or don't like. 
but you got to take the whole Bible rightly divided. If Christ be not risen, our preaching is vain, faith is vain. Yea, and we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. As sure as Jesus rose from the dead, that's how sure you can be that one great day, sleeping saints are going to come alive and are going to hear the voice of God. Those that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake and they shall come forth. And if there be no resurrection, our loved ones that have gone on before are perished. Forget about it. They'll never, ever be of any life or anything like that if Jesus be not raised. Because if Christ be not raised, our hope is gone. Brother, if that's true, we ought to be preaching Jesus uh, crucified and resurrected every time we come to God's house. Because in celebrating that fact, we underscore our belief that the Lord Jesus is all sufficient for us. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is violent and you are yet in your sins. If Jesus didn't come out of that tomb, if Jesus didn't die on that cross, if Jesus didn't shed His innocent blood, if He did not endure the cross despising the shame, then you're still lost and undone without God and on your way to a devil's hell. Well, Pastor, that's pretty straight. I can't be any straighter than what it says in this book. Read verse 18. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If there is no resurrection, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then it's a miserable life. Not a wonderful life, the Christmas story. It is a miserable life without God, without hope, without the Word of God, without believing that Jesus has risen from the dead. We are hopeless and without any blessing from God. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Not only is it an event that is to be preached, it's a life to be lived. It's a life to be lived. Galatians 5 and 24. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Cru cru crucified me? And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh. They that are Christ. Anybody hoping that you're Christ, what, belong to Christ? About half of us. Boy, we're going to have a good altar service this morning, aren't we? And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. It means they've been translated. It means they've transitioned. It means they've been transformed. 
by the renewing of their mind. Not conformed to the world, but transformed. Anybody transformed? This world is not my home. I may leave most any time. Glory to God. This is not it. This is not the end of it. This is not what it's all about. For us to be crucified with Christ. Galatians 2 and 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm dead, but I'm alive. Dead to sin. Dead to disobedience, but alive to the risen Savior. I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and went to Calvary's cross and shed his blood for me and gave himself for me. There's a choice to be made. Matthew 27, 17. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? At some point, you've got to make a decision. At some point, you've got to declare whose side you're on. Moses lined Israel up and says, Here's the line. Now, who is on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? I wonder if I drew a line across this floor and said, everybody who's on the Lord's side, step over here. I wonder how many would get up and move. I'm on the Lord's side. I'm on the Lord's side because I believe in the resurrection. I'm on the Lord's side because I believe the Word of God, inspired of God. I believe the Word of God. I'm on the Lord's side because I believe He died for my sins. I'm on the Lord's side because he, I believe He's coming again. I'm on the Lord's side because there's a future of eternal life with the Lord Jesus. And I'll stay on the Lord's side as long as I have breath. Hallelujah. A confrontation has to occur. Pilate said unto him, 27 and 22 of Matthew, What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all unto him said this, let him be crucified. Wow. Let him be crucified. There comes a time when you have got to choose whose side you're on and you've got to choose what you believe. What they were saying was, we don't believe he's the son of God. Kill him. We don't believe the message that he preached is true. Kill him. We don't believe that He has come to us uh, as a person sent from God. Kill Him. He's blasphemous because He said He was the Son of God. Kill Him. Ooh. And could I tell you that Jesus died for every one of them? The one that were the smiters to His face. The ones who bursted his lip with their fist. The ones who placed the crown of thorns and his face was striped with the blood from the thorns. He died for those very people. 
But even, even after they had done that, if they had had an encounter with the saving grace of the Lord Jesus, how do you know that, Pastor? Because the centurion, standing at the cross, realized he's dying for me. He's shedding his blood for me. He's giving his life for me. And the centurion, a Roman soldier, spoke out and said this, Surely this was the Son of God. Brother, when you recognize him for who he is, when you accurately know that he is the beginning and the end, that he's the Alpha and he's the Omega, when you fully know with all of your heart that he's the Word of of God that has made flesh and we beheld His glory, when you fully embrace the fact that He came into the world to save sinners, then you can be saved. Colossians 3 and 1. If ye then be, reason, be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. One more and I'll be through. It's in the same passage that Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass. Same passage. Verse 12, 21, Luke. But before all of these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it, therefore, in your heart. Make up your mind. Settle it. Somebody say settle it. Have you settled it? Anybody in this house settled it? Has anybody settled it? Settle it, therefore, in your hearts. Not to meditate before what you shall answer. Don't sit around and get the mullet grubs and say, well, I don't know what I'll say. Settle it now in your hearts that you're not going to sit around and meditate and worry about what you're going to answer. For I will give you a mouth and I will give you wisdom which all of your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed by parents, by brethren, by kinsfolk and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not an hair of your head perish. Boy, I don't know if you heard that last verse or not. Then how are you still sitting there? You ought to be jumping up and down. Hallelujah. Not a hair on your head will perish. Yes, it'll go on all around you. Violence all around you. Every way you look, there's going to be suffering and mistreatment. But hey, don't sit around worrying about it because God said, I'll give you a mouth and I'll give you the words and I'll give you the wisdom and you'll know what to say when it comes your time to speak. Don't worry about it. God said, I've got it taken care of, not a hair on your head. Wow. Not a hair on your head. Look at your neighbor and say, not a hair on your head. Not a hair on your head. 
Praise God. God always wins. He never loses. I was interested this week, Cindy, you'll like this, about the top 10 best-selling books of all time. You know what they are? Number 10, Dream of the Red Chamber. Don't even know what that is. 105 million. Number nine, The Hobbit. 110 million. Eight, and then were, there were none. The book by Agatha Christie. 115 million. Hey, you'll laugh at number seven. Scouting for Boys. The Boy Scout Manual. 120 million. Six, Harry Potter, Philosophy of St the Stone, 125 million. Five, The Little Prince. Now, I know that's one, a Chinese one. It's a story about, about children, 140 million. You'll, know, you'll recognize these rest of them. Number four, Lord of the Rings, 155 million. The Quran, which is the Muslim Bible, 800 million. Here's an interesting one. Number two, all-time bestseller. Number two, best in history. Quotes from Mao Zedong. Cultural revolution, China, you'll get it in a minute. Number one, you ready to cheer? Number one, this might get you out of your seat. Number one, bestseller all time, the Bible. It's not even close. Five billion, not million, but billion copies of the Bible have been published and spread all over the world. Mao is the one who comes closest to it, four billion behind. Wow. Jesus said, my words will never pass. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will never pass. When we were living at Hartzell, when I was growing up, a kid, that's Tornado Alley down through there. Tuscaloosa, Jasper, all the way up through there. Coleman, a lot of tornadoes. My mama would get, get us out of the bed at 2 o'clock in the morning and take us to the storm pit. Ugh. My brother and sister was old enough. They just said, no, mama, I'm not going. But we were young enough. We had to go. Never lived till you stayed in a storm pit with other people telling you all them stor scary stories. There was a storm that came through there one time. The pastor that was there for us, Brother Pointer. You remember Brother Pointer? Brother and Sister Pointer. She was a real heavy lady. And there was a tornado came through there. And she got so scared that she got up under the car. There's no earthly way in God's world that that woman could have got up under that car. Trust me. They had to jack it up to get her out from under the thing. 
tornadoes would come by there. And there was one down in a little community called Speak, S-P-E-A-K-E. And there were Church of God people there. They had never joined the Church of God fully, but they used the name. And a great little congregation, well, their church got blown away. Blowed away. All that was left was the floor and the pulpit. And the Bible laying on it. And it was open to the verse that said, Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will never pass away. Ah, oh, Pastor, that was just coincidence. How long are you keep doing that? Coincidence. Why can't you just say God wanted somebody to get the message? That He's greater than storms. He's greater than famines. He's greater than pestilence. He's greater than COVID. He's better and bigger than everything. He is God, and beside Him there is no other. And not a hair. I hope that sticks with you all week. I hope when you walk in next Sunday, I say, how you doing? I hope you'll say, not a hair. If I see you at Sam's this week, and I see you, I hope when I ask you, how you doing? You say, not a hair. Not a hair. Not a hair. Praise God. Stand with me, please. Oh, God, my eternal fortress. How excellent are your ways in all the earth. Thou art the sovereign God. You're the maker of, of all things. And all things consist by the word of your mouth. Every night you roll out the heavens every morning. You ride upon the water. You're involved in our lives. You're a Savior. And we love you and we're your people. And God, we just trust you that when testing times come, we'll have the grace of God in our hearts and we won't have to settle anything. We've got it settled this morning that I'm on my way. I'm on my way. If you don't go, it won't hinder me. I'm on my way. Praise the Lord, I'm on my way. I'll take the way with the Lord's despised few. I've started for heaven, and I'm going through. God, go with us from this place as we depart. and Keep us safe from harm and danger. And give us, O oh Lord, the blessed presence that protects us and keeps us. Help us, O oh Lord, to do your will and be light and salt in this world. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 God bless you and God go with you is our prayer.